With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the Yukon Pod. This is Amon Kidwai, and I'm here with Dan Madigan and Dan Connolly. Lots of great Husky sports to talk about. First and foremost, an announcement that uh, doesn't come as a huge surprise, but we got the press release from UConn that Mamadou Diara would be transitioning into a new role as a student assistant coach. Uh, Diara had dealt with a lot of knee injuries after coming to UConn in, 20, in that vaunted 2016 class. He ended up sitting out his entire freshman season, uh, playing sparingly as a sophomore, and then uh, barely making any appearances last year. So uh, he's he's calling it quits on his career. Uh, what this does is um, open up a roster spot for the Huskies, which we'll talk about uh, for sure. But first of all, um, you know, I think uh, – just worth mentioning, class move by UConn to to keep him on a scholarship. Uh, look out for his best interests. Quote from Dan Hurley: Mamadou has endured some difficult circumstances physically since he arrived at UConn. We cannot, in good conscience, ask him to continue his attempts to rehab. Uh, dot dot dot. Knowing it could severely impact him later in life. So, um, I think that's you know promising to see a coach do that and um, uh, give him an opportunity to, to still play basketball. And then, hey, uh, we got a, got a roster spot open. So win-win uh, for the Huskies. Yeah, and I don't think this is really a huge surprise in the grand scheme of things because when Mamadou was kind of coming back and early in the season, it's kind of hard to remember how much roster flux there was because Sid Wilson wasn't playing yet and Mamadou was still out, and we were at practice one day after talking to Hurley, and someone just kind of asked the question, like, hey, when do you think Mamadou's going to come back? And he said something along the lines of, I don't really want to play Mamadou because I'm concerned that he's just going to take a wrong step and blow out his knee, and he's not going to be able to walk when he's 35. And I think that that concern was in Hurley's mind the entire time because of just how many knee issues Mamadou's had. And I think it is a good move for them to keep him on the team because from all accounts, he's a really good kid. He's a good locker room presence. He's You're never going to have an off-the-field issue with him. So I think having him around the team, it's definitely a good presence to have. It's a morale booster. Just a nice locker room piece. And it's just disappointing that he couldn't play because – he did show flashes and he was supposed to be a project big man, but someone who could develop into a solid player. So it's, it really sucks that he's not going to be able to play because obviously you don't want a kid's career to end at 21 or 22, however old he is. But at the same time, it is good that UConn's going to get that roster spot because now we can use one 
with RJ Cole probably sitting out the year, we can go in and get someone who's going to make an instant impact this year, hopefully in the front court as a power forward or center to play behind Carlton. Yeah, Dan, I, th- I think you're right. It definitely speeds up this rebuild process a little bit, especially with that lost scholarship from uh, some sanctions under Kevin Ollie. But um, even though, you know, he's he seems like a great teammate, great locker room presence, it, it is going to really suck to not see him on the court. Um, personally, I think he was one of the more fun and energetic players that the Huskies have had in a while. Um, never really got a chance to play a significant amount of minutes, but when he did play in that last year under Ollie, he had some you know, games where he kind of broke out. I was looking through some of his stats. Um, He only played more than 20 minutes four times. Um, He had a double-double in 20 minutes against Columbia, and he put up eight and six against a tough Cincinnati team uh, in just 23 minutes. So the energy was there, and, you know, that's something that he still brings on the bench, and, you know, I imagine he'll bring now as a student assistant coach, but it's definitely a bummer to see see him done. It would have been nice to see how he could have developed over the last few years, but seems like him and Hurley have made a decision that it's going to be the best for the rest of his life, which is much more important than basketball. Yeah, he definitely showed great signs. I mean, he was a really adept rebounder and uh, like you said, just, just brought a lot of energy, strong defender and um, you know, someone who you could really see being, being one of those kind of low key fan favorites. Here's a, here's a list of names though. though so that speaking of that recruiting class of 2016, so Vance Jackson, Jawan Durham, no longer with the Huskies. Mamadou Diara calling it quits on his career. Altariq, uh, playing career. Altariq Gilbert, uh, to be, still to be determined, but very good at basketball, but still to be determined how you know uh, long his playing career will be. Uh, and then the, 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 the late addition, Christian Vital, uh, who turned out to be the, so far, uh, the most impactful UConn player. So just kind of, I mean, de- definitely not what we expected on, on signing day 2016 or whatever, but uh, here we are and here here's what came out of that. So Yeah, and I mean, Amon, that's just a testament to really, I mean, there's been some unfortunate circumstances and um, Jackson and Durham chose to go their own ways, but that also kind of shows a testament to how great Vital has been here and how hard he's worked during his time here. Um, I believe he was the last recruit added, uh, decommitted from UNLV to, to come play at UConn. Um, I don't think anyone really had extremely high expectations for him at the time, um, but he's you know played hard game in and game out, worked his way into the rotation, and he's going to be a huge player this season. So um, really, really interesting to see that he was, you know, the main guy that's come out of this. Um, Gilbert will, could likely be right there with him with another strong season. But right now uh, that class will pretty much always be known as the Christian Vital class, which is uh, pretty wild to think about. Yeah. So who, so uh, Connelly, you briefly brought up the, the, you know, what to do with that open roster spot, looking at the rest of the roster, would you rather have a freshman, uh, you know, who's more of a project player or, maybe a grad transfer who's into contribute immediately because, um, you know, if if we had had this situation about a month ago, there'd be a few names we could put on the short list, like Charles Coleman and uh, Ricky Azera, but those guys, those guys made commitments recently. And so 
Um, that that shortlist is a lot smaller, and uh, I'm not sure what UConn's options are in the class of 2019. But um, what what would you think you guys would be would prefer based on the roster right now? I'd definitely rather go with a grad transfer, just because at this point in the year, like you said, like a lot of the guys they were kind of going after have already committed. It seemed like they were kind of recruiting for two roster spots. Got RJ Cole. Now they have this one, but if you don't have a huge pool of players to pick from and you're kind of picking from scraps, I'd rather take a grad transfer because I feel like the upside with that's a little higher because Josh Carlton's obviously the, like the number one starter and you don't really have a true center behind him. So I think just a grad transfer has a higher chance of being like an instant impact player right off the bat. And at the same time, if you swing and miss and end up with a David and Nora, you only have them for one year. So you're only using up that roster spot for one year. Whereas if you take a freshman who ends up being really bad, they could end up taking up that roster spot for four years. So unless Hurley and his staff are really, really sold on a freshman, then I would much rather go the grad transfer route. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Dan. I think there's a little bit of pressure to, you know, win a few more games now than last year. Um, so with that being said, with, um, you know, a weakness in the front court and the the need to kind of have somebody that can step in and at least eat minutes right away, the grad transfer is definitely the better option. Um, even though this DR news just got announced today on Wednesday, you know, UConn's always been in the mix for another player in that 2019 class. Uh, Nishan Highland was between UConn and VCU, which confused a lot of people um, that, that follow the Huskies just because no one knew where that scholarship was coming from, uh, at least not yet. So um, he was a guard, though, so it wouldn't have necessarily hurt, but it wouldn't have helped as much as a you know a grad transfer big man will. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, really, like you said, Dan, Carlton's going to need some help, but um, it'll be interesting to see what they can do to kind of pull them together or if they leave it open and try and you know snag someone who transfers a few games, you know, five, ten games into the season, which, you know, is become increasingly common. So it doesn't necessarily have to get filled before classes start, even though that's most likely the case, but um, certainly something where Hurley can get creative to try and add an impact player in some way, shape or form for this season. Yeah. And one name to keep an eye on that, uh, you know, was, was alerted to us is a guy named Valdir Manuel. He's a three-star center recruit, a former Seton Hall commit, then, moved his commitment to St. John's. And then when they fired uh, Chris Mullins, he decommitted again. So um, he's a yeah, six foot nine from Pennsylvania. Uh, could be someone to keep an eye on, but I think, you know, something else to consider that we just haven't brought up in the, yet is a cock, a cock. So you've got, um, you've got Carlton, you've got a cock and then, you know, look, there's, a pretty heavy glut of like guards and wing players and you could go smaller and you got to give Carlton and a cook plenty of run. You want to definitely see what Sid Wilson and Tyler Polly can bring to the table, but you also have Christian Vital, uh, Alterique Gilbert and two really talented freshman guards. Um, you know, both of which are going to have solid to pretty solid roles. So, there's actually might not be as many minutes to go around as you think. So, um, and then big man is so important 
and so tough to hold on to people. I think there's actually a decent argument uh, for for going with a freshman that's maybe more of a developmental prospect. But I think yeah, it's definitely possible. Maybe it's a transfer, like a uh, a, a pure <laughs> sorry, a pure transfer. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, again, I think there's there's there may not be that many minutes to go around. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't really know how much of like a pure post player Cook is at this point in his career because when we were able to go into practice, I definitely saw him shooting threes significantly more than I saw him in the post. And I I think right now his, he's not really suited to be like a back-to-the-basket type player. I think as crazy as it seems for a guy who's 6'9 with a seemingly gigantic wingspan, I think he it it might be more suited for him at this point to be more out on the wing. So that's more why I'd want like an established post player. Yeah, and Aman, I think that's a good point that you brought up. And you know, I think with the way the game is kind of changing, especially as college coaches are taking more and more stuff from the NBA, um, there's not necessarily as big of a need for a true back to the basket center. It's really just someone that can guard one of the taller guys on the court, right? So. Um, hopefully a cook, a cook is hitting the weight room and, and putting on some more muscle and some weight so he can kind of bang down low with those bigger guys. But, um, if he can do that and he can step up, that'll definitely alleviate the need. And, you know, it might make more sense to, to bring in another guard with Gilbert's injury history. So, um, it'll definitely be interesting. I, I think going off of what you said, I'm on this last scholarship that gets filled, um, kind of goes into how well, um, a cook is progressing and how healthy Alter Gilbert is. So um, it'll be interesting to see kind of what direction Hurley goes in. But yeah, I think a cook could, could definitely come in and, and play that five for at least stretches, at least to spell Carlton. So that could be a really fun lineup um, and, you know, a, a really cool modern lineup that we haven't really seen at UConn, at least as far as I can remember. Yeah, we will see. And I think either way, we can all agree we definitely want it to be a, a, a big man to fill a pretty clear need for the roster. So uh, with that, we'll go to some ads from our partners at Vox Media. All right, and we're back. So a couple of other notes uh, elsewhere in the world of Husky sports. The football team, remember that UConn has one of those and it plays at the FBS level, allegedly. Uh they did just sign a series with Duke. Um, good for good for UConn to get a ACC opponent on the schedule and uh, one that's not particularly strong. Uh, so I think that's that's positive. They'll play in 2023 at UConn, and the Huskies will be in Durham in 2024. So uh, everyone, make sure to keep those days. Uh, open on your calendar for those those big ones. Um, but what we really wanted to talk about here with the football team was uh, the summer roster came out and we now know kind of who who all is expected to be on the team and who is not. Um, I think uh, as as Jim Fuller of the New Haven Register noted, there are 20 players from last year's roster. Uh, who were not seniors, who are no longer part of the team. Um, when you look through and think about who those guys are, I think some names that stand out include defensive tackle Kevin Murphy, uh, 
um, quarterback Marvin Washington, safety Darian Beavers, Marche Terry, kicker Michael Tarbutt, who's uh, in the Power Five, Tyler Davis, who uh, is also in the Power Five, and then breaking our hearts, Keon Dixon, uh, also no longer with the Huskies. So a number of key losses for the team. What, who, Which one of those do we feel is uh, hurting the Huskies worst? Not to break your heart, Amon, but I think Marvin Washington was the one that definitely drew more of the attention, at least for the fan base, because he was a UCF commit that flipped on signing day in 2017. Had his moments on the field. There was that touchdown against uh, Syracuse to Tyler Davis in the end zone pinpoint throw. He was definitely pretty rough around the edges football-wise, but he also was only a redshirt freshman last year. The biggest issue with Washington were, I don't really want to say off-the-field issues because it wasn't. It never seemed like it was anything bad, but it, there was definitely stuff he needed to work on off-the-field, academics, maybe some maturity stuff, small things, but... I wasn't super shocked when I saw that he was transferring just kind of for those reasons. It seemed like things he was doing were always kind of popping up on Edsel's radar, which I don't think is ever a good sign for a player. And really, I think he was in the driver's seat for the starting quarterback job just because he was the one that was here last year. Obviously, you have Mike Beaudry coming in from West Florida where he put up really good numbers, got the team to the Division II National Championship game, in his really only full season as a starter. So you've got him coming in, but obviously there's the jump from division two to division one. We don't really know what the kind of competition he was playing against was doesn't know the system. Obviously we have a new offensive coordinator, but it's I'd imagine still pretty much the same stuff. So Keon was obviously still young, but we kind of knew what he was as a player and he had a high ceiling still to go. But I think just quarterback so important in football that losing a guy that would have really helped the competition be a lot fiercer in Washington hurts. So I think that was really the biggest loss there. Yeah, Dan, I'd probably have to go with actually Dixon is the biggest loss just because the wide receiver corp is just so thin. And, you know, Dixon also had a lot of value as a returner. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens at quarterback now that Washington is gone. But I think Edsel's taken enough flyers on some some interesting kind of prospects between Beaudry, uh, you know, they just picked up an interesting Canadian prospect for 2020 and uh, pulled in a transfer from NC State. So um, it'll definitely be interesting to see how the quarterback competition comes out. But I don't know if Washington was really a player that's going to make or break this team. So um, Dixon, you know, leaving creates a big hole. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if UConn can fill it. But it seems I think there was only, you know, six or something catches or some crazy low amount of catches that this returning receiving team unit has from last season. So it's going to be kind of a wild season, um, but we'll be fun to see it plan out. Yeah. I mean, of course we were the uh, captains of the Keon Dixon hype train, obviously. And, I think, you know, something about him, just speaking to his untapped potential, he was an amazing athlete, uh, you know, a highly decorated sprinter in, in uh, high school and, and um, you know, someone who just 
used properly could have really thrived in the, especially in the college game uh, and especially just given his, his size and speed. So, um, but I think actually the, the toughest losses are the ones on defense, right? The defense was completely terrible last year and then it's losing um, uh, Darian Beavers, who I believe is at Cincinnati uh, defensive tackle, Kevin Murphy, who I, I thought was pretty solid uh, just wasn't isn't I don't think he's a good fit for the scheme. Um, well, whatever the scheme is anymore these days. Um, so so to me, those are the toughest losses because if we're just really thinking about this team and it improving from the absolute bottom of the FBS barrel, uh, it it depends on the defense improving and it, it it's not getting that much more. Uh, mature when people with that much experience leave um and then you know interesting to note again these there these people are going to good play beavers is at cincinnati which is uh you know a pretty pretty well-run ship over there with luke fickle tyler davis is at georgia tech michael tarbot's at minnesota um i could see keon dixon going to like a acc uh type school or a big 10 school so um in the the Huskies, you know, for everything that that everyone said about the state of the talent on that team, they they really did lose some, uh, and it's unfortunate. Um, they've got some pieces that they're trying to bring in, but yeah, I think with with Washington, there's no guarantee he was gonna he was gonna pan out. He was the backup last year, and um, you know they still have um, they still have options and an open competition, and we'll we'll see what happens there, but. Uh, for me, the big the big loss is those defenders, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, and just touching on Keon one more time, I can totally see him ending up at like a lower level ACC school, just blowing up with however many years he has left with a full offense around him, and then ending up in camp with some NFL team and just seeing where it goes from there. I saw him standing dunk a basketball one time before he warmed up for anything. So like clearly he's got the athleticism to play in the NFL. Like he's a ridiculous athlete and it sucks that either UConn's coaching staff couldn't keep him around or didn't want him around. So disappointing, but in theory, there's a plan. Elsewhere, the baseball team just wrapped up its season, falling in the regional finals of the NCAA tournament. Daniel Connolly, give us your postmortem on the Huskies NCAA tournament appearance. Yeah, they really just ran out of gas. Kind of the same story as last year, just they got another game farther this year. So in the first game against Oklahoma State, they had a starter and then they went from Caleb Worcester to CJ Dandino to Jacob Wallace, their three headed monster in the bullpen. And then in the second game, the final that would have, that decided who was going to the super regional, they tried the same thing again and coaches left Worcester in for one pitch or one batter too many. And he gave up the game tying home run. The coaches left Dandino in for one batter too many. And he gave up the two run double that ended up losing the game they just really needed to try and fit one more guy in there somewhere and it just didn't work out. And then the last few innings, the bats just, you could see they were tired and the comeback probably wasn't going to come. So it's disappointing and just shows how important winning the first game of the tournament is because then you start in the winner's bracket. You don't have to play a potential double header 
to get into the regional final. You don't need to play during the day when it's hotter. So it's really hard to get to a regional final as easy as it may be on paper that, oh, you just have to win three or four games. That doesn't seem too hard, but obviously it is really tough. John Topa had some really interesting comments after the game saying how Penders always tells them to leave the program in a better place than they found it and how they're hoping that now it's just a standard to get to the NCAA tournament and get to a regional final. And it shouldn't be, oh, we just got to the NCAA tournament. That's good enough. So now the next step is breaking through and getting to a super regional and then getting there consistently and then breaking through and getting to Omaha. And obviously there's a long way to go to get to that, but if you can get to a super regional, you have to win two games and you're in Omaha. So you just got to break through to that super regional. And then pretty much immediately after their season ended, five UConn players got drafted. Jacob Wallace was the first one off the board going in the third round of the Colorado Rockies. Anthony Prado shortstop went in the seventh round of the Minnesota twins. Both those guys are signing with their teams and going pro Mason Fioli kind of dropped he was expected to be in the top 10 rounds. He dropped to the 11th round of the Padres. We'll see what happens there. And then Michael Woodworth got picked in the twenties by the Oakland athletics. Interestingly, the A's have actually never picked a UConn player in the Jim Penders era. And then reliever CJ Dandino, who they called grandpa on the team, a fifth team senior that had a huge breakout senior year got into the draft, got picked by the Pittsburgh Pirates. So at least four guys going pro for UConn this year, if not five, depending on if Mason signs. So it's always good to see the UConn baseball pipeline going. And we see that in action. Anthony Kay just got promoted to AAA in the Mets farm system. So he was a 2016 first-round pick. So clearly – teams should be starting to take notice that usually when UConn guys get picked high, they tend to get to the majors sooner rather than later. Yeah, Dan, I think, uh, you know, that that's a pretty good point. And, you know, UConn fans, there's a good chance that you're going to be able to see Jacob Wallace in Hartford, uh, possibly towards the end of next year. Uh, if not definitely early in, in 2021, um, relievers of his caliber tend to fly through the minor leagues. So won't be surprising if he's in double a for, a good stint and then could, you know, could end up with the Rockies soon enough. Um, and maybe even earlier, depending on how desperate they are for bullpen help and how the, the uh, major league team is doing. So, uh, you know, a player like Wallace should be a really, really fun addition to that Rockies farm system. And hopefully he'll have a few games in Hartford to uh, play in front of some former fans. So should be interesting, but uh, pretty exciting pick for, for the Rockies. I think Wallace is going to be a, a pretty solid player. And with fuel uh, with Mason, excuse me, um, I know the 11th round is usually for those guys that are kind of on the fringe between going pro and either coming back for their senior season or going to college. So, um, you know, like you said, Dan, he didn't really have a senior year up to his usual standard or his junior year up to his usual standard. So, uh, if he comes back for a senior season, it, it could be really fun to watch. Yeah. And with Wallace, I think we could even see him in Hartford this year. I think for any Red Sox fans listening, it was interesting that when Wallace got picked, there is almost a carbon copy comparison from last year's draft. Durbin Feltman, a reliever only out of TCU, threw really hard, had a wipeout slider, 
and people talked about him being able to rise up the ranks to the major leagues really quickly. He's kind of hit some speed bumps as in triple or is in double A now, but like I said, he's a really similar comparison to Wallace. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Wallace get into those upper echelons of the Rockies minor league system and the double A's and triple A's even this season. In other Husky sports news, uh, Madigan, there is a reason for UConn fans to watch golf's professional golf's U S open this weekend. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. So I'm sure everyone's been following, uh, the UConn golf team, week in and week out and following them on the tour. But if you haven't, uh, Eric Dietrich is going to be playing at the U.S. Open in Pebble Beach, the 119th U.S. Open, uh, after winning one of 12 sectional qualifiers. So uh, Dietrich is from Cheshire, but he won the qualifier in Walla Walla, Washington, uh, which I was really happy I got to say on the podcast, which is pretty good. Uh, Shot 11 under, a 67 and a 66 in two 18-hole rounds at Wine Valley Golf Club. So, um, he played at UConn from, or golfed at UConn from 2013 to 2017, and then qualified for the McKenzie Tour in Canada. Uh, he wrapped up a tour event, and the closest qualifier was in Walla Walla. So he uh, took a plane over there and, and worked out and was able to win the event outright and qualify for the U.S. Open. So honestly, a monumental achievement for a, a player like Dietrich. Um, you never know what can happen when when you have the opportunity. So, uh, could be a stepping stone for him to get on the tour. But if not, it's going to be you know the experience of a lifetime for him. Just another good example. UConn, good at sports, many sports, uh, and uh, along those lines, the women's soccer World Cup is currently underway over in France. Connolly, we have some Huskies there as well, right? Yeah, UConn's got two former players playing out in France. The most prominent is Steph LeBay. She is Canada's starting goalkeeper. She's been one of the better goalkeepers in the U.S. professional leagues, whatever current league is going on right now. It's the NWSL. Canada's only played one game. She played that one match, didn't give up a goal, only had one save. wasn't too tough of a day for her. The other one is Tori Patterson. She graduated from UConn in 2016. She was on that incredible 2016 team that won the conference regular season and postseason, didn't lose a conference game. Had the likes of Rachel Hill, Stephanie Ribeiro, Emily Armstrong, all of whom are playing professional somewhere. Just one of the best teams we've seen recently. She's playing for Jamaica. She didn't get into the first game. She only has 10 appearances under her belt. She's one of those soccer players that has family heritage in Jamaica. So she's not directly from Jamaica, but based on the rules of the Federation, because she has enough heritage from Jamaica, she's allowed to play with the team. So it's just a great chance for her to get to play in a world cup. I mean, that's every player who plays soccer's dream. Um, it's going to be a little tough for either of them to match UConn soccer's best World Cup player who was Sarah Whalen. She played on the famous 1999 women's soccer team that won the World Cup that was hosted by the U.S. Brandy Chastain scored the iconic game-winning penalty kick, ripped her shirt off, and there was a huge celebration. So Whalen was actually featured 
right on the cover of Time Magazine, jumping on Chastain, and then she was also on Sports Illustrated with the rest of the team. So pretty cool that UConn's got some good World Cup history behind them, and LeBay and Patterson are hopefully going to be looking to make some more over the next month. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the UConn Pod. Thank you all for listening.